0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. We are all looking forward to the Masters at Augusta this week as golf gets back into the swing of things. Pun, very much intended. For 2021. But today we are going to be looking at the sport of golf, but we're going to be focusing a little more closely on a specific question, which is whether we're going to see the emergence of a global tour over the next few years. It's certainly something there has been a fair bit of movement on in the past few seasons, nothing decisive as yet. Lots to consider and uh, very happy to be able to consider it with Giles Morgan, sports industry veteran and Sports Pro columnist. Hello, Giles. Hello, Owen. Very, very nice to hear you. Nice to hear you too. And, uh, yeah, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, BBC Sport golf correspondent, Ian Carter. Hi, Ian. Hi, Owen. Great to have you with us for what I hope will be a really informed discussion about this topic. I mean, obviously, it's not something that really concerns anyone at Augusta this weekend directly because you know, the majors kind of sitting outside of um, of the question about the tours. But it is something lo- lots of people have had a good bit of time to consider in the past year with the uh, reshuffling of, of various calendars and, you know, the bit of downtime that people would have had to strategize perhaps about 12 months ago. Ian, where do you think we are with this particular question? How likely is it that at some point, perhaps not in the next 18 months, three years, but at some point we will see a kind of coalescence of the major tours of, of the European Tour and the PGA Tour into something uh, more consolidated and more global.
1: I, I think we're on that journey, and I think that the, the current circumstances have have concentrated minds on that. We already have a strategic alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour. I think that came out of the COVID situation where. Effectively, the well, both tours were were taken off. As we know, in the initial lockdown, the PGA Tour was able to come back um, more easily because it it it's centered around that American market. Whereas the international strength, or what has always been the international strength of the European tour, suddenly became a weakness with the the difficulties of international travel and so on and so forth. And that did make the European Tour vulnerable. I think that that gave them a nudge. There were business factors as well with the Premier Golf League. So this sort of rebel structure in the background looking to, to make its mark and potentially really shake up the, the the entire men's golf market. And I think that you've always had a situation in golf, you know, just taking it a little bit further back where... There are just so many governing bodies and so little focus of direction for the sport. And then you can do that across both genders as well. That I think there was a realisation, a growing realisation before the pandemic, before PGL, that actually you, you need something a lot more consolidated, a lot more focused, a lot more like the model of, say, Formula One where everybody knows who everybody is and what the pecking order is. So I think that that has precipitated the journey that we are most definitely on. And already you can feel the effects of that. It does feel an awful lot more unified. And one other thing I'd just say at this stage, also bear in mind that there are strategic alliances between the LPGA and the PGA Tour. So it stretches across to the women. Also the Ladies European Tour and the European Tour. So they're all now interconnected They're all now looking to work together much more rather than as as separate rivals.
0: There's a a fair bit to unpack there, and I do want to revisit some of those prime movies before we get much further down the line with with some of the commercial questions. But Giles, just to bring you in, on the concept itself, you you have sat sponsor-side before. You uh, work at the moment kind of consulting and advising people around you know the the data proposition that uh, that is going to interest brands when it comes to sport. What does that kind of single entity? How appealing would that be relative to to what we have going on at the moment in golf?
2: Well, it it is fascinating. I've I've heard many of the proposals as various sort of uh, leagues or Premier Leagues or whatever it was. This consolidation whether it's rival or from the tours themselves, makes total sense. And you have to go back in history to understand why there are so many blazers and so many different um, sort of governing bodies. It was all to do with geography. When golf was being created as the sport it was, it was really pre-jetliner. And therefore, of course, you needed the US to have their own area. You needed you needed blocks. and And that's become fairly antiquated. And what As Ian says quite rightly, what COVID hastened, as as COVID has hastened many things in sport, is a sense of doing the right thing. And I think Jay Monaghan in particular very much led a charge, which is to say we have to consolidate to protect and enhance what is professional golf that stretches across the men and the women. And you're now seeing that. I, I don't remember I don't remember a time, and I know Ian would back me up on this, where the various governing bodies have been so much in lockstep compared to how they were, say, 15, 20 years ago. There's a lot less jockeying for locker room um positioning. People seem to know the pecking order. Therefore, it makes sense. And from a sponsor's point of view, um, Having a consolidated tour makes a lot of sense because the value of golf um, to sponsors is about the global demographic that plays and watches golf, and it's a very, very powerful one. It is a very affluent um, demographic. It has an opportunity to grow through the Olympic Games into new markets, and when you're seeing technology, and I'm using examples like Top Golf, Range Golf different formats of the game, the ability to hit strike a club on a ball um, and put it into a little hole um, has a lot of appeal, particularly through technology. And I think golf is standing potentially on the cusp of a very exciting new dawn, but that's not the, the what came before. It's going to look quite different. Um, but the showcase is the is the global tour and therefore that needs to be done Um, I think, with all of the tours working in the same direction.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you've both hit upon the fact that there has been collaboration between the LPGA Tour and the LET and between uh, those two entities and and the PGA Tour. It kind of echoes some of the conversations that we've had in tennis, where you're seeing a greater appetite for collaboration between the ATP um, and the WTA Tour. And I think you know this the, there's a vision here perhaps emerging that's about not just where do the best men's players in the world play or where the best women's players in the world play but something that is kind of a single vision for for golf to unite around um but there's a fair bit of work to get there in and you know there there are still kind of different motivations and different uh, different political machinations to work out so the prime movers behind this to take the men's game in isolation for now, you have the PGA tour and the European tour. You also have this insurgency, but we're not sure, you know, I mean, they certainly aren't presenting themselves as a, as a challenge to, uh, to the established tours, but as a compliment, but we, we know how these things work with attention in in sport. And that is the premier golf league, which is backed by the rain group. and, And we think some, some money out of Saudi Arabia. So, you know, on the one hand you have, the challenge, and on the other hand, you have the the change in established thinking. Um, but there are a few things to to work out in each of those cases.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think the emergence of, of PGL and the fact that they did uh with their proposals, we don't know them in any great detail, but we know that they were extremely well financed and they certainly got the attention of players and leading players. And I think that both the PGA Tour and the European Tour recognised a degree of vulnerability, and I think the PGA Tour probably recognised that the European Tour could be a route in for the PGL, given that they were that the European Tour, as I said earlier, were were left extremely vulnerable by uh, COVID, and that might have been the big opportunity. And so I think that's why the PGA Tour were able to and were keen to buy into the European Tour. I think up to that point, they saw they they both saw each other as, as, as rivals. When Keith Pelley came in as the chief executive of the European Tour, it was because the players felt that the European Tour was not punching its full weight and was not providing a rival circuit to the PGA Tour. It was always seen as a, a feeder circuit. And Keith Pelly very bullishly came in initially and would talk about how the, the, the prize funds weren't great enough, how he wanted emerging players. I remember him talking about Matt Fitzpatrick, who was sort of 22, 23 at the time, a former US Open, uh, US amateur champion, who uh, he said, I want to keep him this side of the Atlantic. I want these kind of players not to be tempted at the first opportunity to go to America where it is very comfortable, it is very lucrative, and it is very attractive. He wanted a circuit and he brought in uh, the Rolex series as the the mainstay of, of, of events that would have big money towards them um, and that would encourage young up-and-coming players to stay with Europe rather than go to America. And that was very much the landscape until very recently. But there's been a recognition that, well, there's two things going on. One, the players will move to America. It, it, it's just too, too an attractive a proposition. But secondly, America wants a more global uh, footprint, and so suddenly that Rolex Series thing looks very attractive to Jay Monahan, the incoming uh, commissioner of the PGA Tour. So there was mutual benefit there. There was uh, not a, a, an imperfect storm, given the the, the health condi- condition of the world. Um, And there was the insurgents there as well. And that, I think, is why it banged the heads together. And now, with a strategic alliance, they're able to start saying, well, we won't have that tournament that week because that will impact on an event in Europe or that will impact on an event in America. So let's have it that week. Let's try and and start to have a, a much more coordinated calendar, which will be attractive to players, but will also... Help feed the base, and that's the other aspect to it. So it's a, it's it's a very complex coming together, but that realization that better together is the way forward is 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 what has has sort of transpired.
0: I would say over the last twelve months. Yeah, a couple of details to pick out from the uh, from that alliance back in November, um, PGA Tour, as you say. Taking a minority stake in European Tour Productions, Jay Monaghan getting a seat on the European Tour board. At the same time, Keith Pelley is trying to create some distance from the idea that this is the PGA Tour ultimately incorporating the European Tour. I think that's probably where the sensitivity lies most at the moment. And you know, he said his comments at the time of, of the announcement were it definitely heralds a significant new era for global golf the way I've characterized it is that the PGA tour moves from a competitor to a partner emphatically this is not a merger a merger would only happen for two reasons one is if the tour had financial difficulties and two that there were significant benefits for the members so he's you know very much trying to not appear the junior party Giles but um already kind of acknowledging that there are the, the 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 path towards greater cooperation let's say is uh, is already being set
2: well and it has to be because of the makeup of how tours are created it requires the players to 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 support and i think what keith pelley and guy kinnings and um, others have done from the european tour has been eminently sensible one because golf's fighting and before covid in particular was fighting quite a quite an uncertain future in terms of popularity that it was was not always rosy in the garden I don't think that they necessarily got the Olympics piece quite right first time out in in Rio in terms of they missed some opportunities and it's because too many people sitting around the table who were not necessarily always in agreement or fighting their own battle I think what we're seeing now with this cooperation is exactly to the point Ian's point about start with the scheduling Start with making sure that the best events get the most amount of stage time that they can get. Create a calendar that the fan, the global golf fan, who, after all, is able to watch on any device anywhere in the world. It's not just the old TV. Let's hope the BBC put it on at some point. Now we're living in a world where we can watch all sport when we want, however we want. But you need to know the pecking order. And I feel really, I'm probably at risk of sounding like old school and I'm becoming a blazer myself, but I'm much, much more comfortable with the concept of the, the sport of golf being run by the global governing bodies rather than being financed by newcomers and by players who happen to be at the time the heroes and therefore the ones that it's in their interest to be in the top 48. I think we saw it in cricket before, 30 or 40 years ago, um, and what Packer, Kerry Packer, did for cricket as with a rival group didn't last, but it changed the landscape for the traditional heritage of cricket. And I think golf is going down that route as well, which is saying we have to embrace change. We have to look at different formats. We have to look at working with different partners, but for the good of the game collectively. And I feel now if there's consolidation from... This PGA Tour, European Tour, Ladies European Tour, uh, LPGA, as this kind of representing the big four governing bodies, I think that will um, go an awfully long way. They then need to address the Olympics because that's going to be a showcase. Whatever happens with Tokyo, you know, the Olympics is such a big stage for golf, far bigger stage than golf's ever really had before. And I believe first time round, they because they had to, they kept it very much at status quo. And that did not sell the game the way it needs to be in the future, particularly with mixed events, uh, mixed format golf, which I think will come next.
0: Ian, what's the read inside the game on on PGL? How I mean, obviously, people are going to take it seriously because we're we're talking about big sums of money being behind it. But how ready, how present is the threat as people perceive it, and how strong is the interest from people inside the sport? I'd be completely honest; it's it's very difficult to know. Uh, they've
1: been very secretive. Uh, we know that they have been. Uh, I wanted to say tapping up that's not that's not the right word. They've been approaching players they've got the ear and the attention of some of the biggest names in the game we We know that, and that got the attention of the established tours and it certainly concerned them. you know they were looking at a model of forty forty eight pros uh, effectively you you know you could liken it to a to a sort of grand Prix formula One type circuit with the best golfers going around the world playing for massive sums of money with obviously attendant television uh, and media deals that that would give it a great deal of profile i think that what gets lost in the mix of it all is though that how how would that then work with the tournaments that matter most the majors and and this is this is where you know golf is is different from pretty much every other sport it's it's got similarities with tennis but that's about it you've got four separate bodies providing the four biggest golf tournaments and the tournaments that will you know engage the average sports fan rather than the golf diehard the masters augusta national golf club the pga pga of america the us open run by the united states golf association and the open run by the rna and the tours then have to fit in around them and they create their own narrative for the rest of the golfing season and that's why it is presented as the FedEx Cup in America and the race to Dubai uh, on this side of the pond. So trying to break into that kind of structure is going to be very, very difficult. And even if the PGL were to come into existence, even if it were to attract the, the, the best names in golf, how many of them are, are household names amongst the general sports audience, especially with Tiger Woods out of the equation? You know, you're looking at Rory McElroy Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and that's about it. And if the if the main establishment, the, the the four majors, it would be within their gift to say, well, any rebels that go away will not be eligible for for these championships. They're the tournaments that people care about, and they care about the tournaments more than the players. So that gives you the size of the challenge that I think was was facing the the, the insurgent body, if you like. Are they still there? I think so, um, but the 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 talk has quietened significantly since this strategic alliance between the European
2: and PGA Tours. I think as well, um, building off that, Ian, as well. It's what's interesting, having like yourself been involved in in the game of golf for a good long while, um, is it's at any particular point? I would say in a, any year um, in less so in tennis, in men's tennis over the last 15, 20 years because of the dominance of three or four players. But in golf, other than Tiger Woods, who sets himself apart as an anomaly because he has been an extraordinary influence on the game, I remember when I started with HSBC back in 2005 to try and get a field in China for what was the start of the HSBC champions that became a World Golf Championship it was essential to try and get five to ten top players who would attract the, the golfing audience. I.e. there are never more than probably 10, 15 players, more like 10 players at any one time who the world is watching because they're on form. And when I look back at who those top golfers were who were attracted to, to Shanghai through means, fair and foul, you look at those players now, most of them have, Well, most of them are playing on on the seniors tour now. But my point is that golfers come and go. Tiger is actually quite unique. And that um, the the fan is fickle. They want to know who the hot player was. I remember giving Bryson DeChambeau his first professional start in Abu Dhabi. He wasn't anybody. And now he's everybody. But maybe if he carries on hitting the ball um, as hard as he does, his spine will give way. And in five years' time, there'll be someone else. And therefore... What feels with PGL is it feels like a, a moment in time for right now, but in 10 years' time may not be able to sustain itself as players come and go. And this is why I feel it's it's the establishment's um, responsibility. And I think they've been shaken. And I think COVID has also focused the mind, to Ian's point, that says, right, we are going to create the narrative, working with the four majors to create the calendar that is the, the, the fair for, for the golf audience. And and
1: just to come in on that, I, d- I just think it's worth making the point that golf is is uniquely random. That the very nature of the game uh, is is dependent on weather conditions, on the topography that you're playing on, on all sorts of different factors that come in. That mean that you are not going to. If you're if you're sponsoring a a, a tennis tournament, then you say I want Roger Federer there and I want Novak Djokovic there, and we'll put them in opposite sides of the the draw and in all probability they are going to be there at the weekend we are guaranteed that that is going to be a big event giles in his his former life you know i know went way out of his way to get tiger woods to come and play in the world match play at wentworth back in the day and and that wasn't supposed to be random because the matches were over 36 holes and tiger woods lost to Sean McKeel and was gone and was sightseeing in london when he should have been bringing eyeballs to wentworth and to HSBC and that that happens in golf all the time. I mean you look at the world match play that has just finished now they've changed the format of that to have group matches to try and guarantee having the the, the best players there by the weekend and it it fails more often than it than it succeeds because of the random nature of the sport and it's and the only way that you actually establish Who the really great players are is through the grind of the tour and them cashing in every now and again at the majors. But for every Dustin Johnson that wins the Masters, there is a Danny Willett. And that is not to talk down Danny Willett, who was world number 13 when he won the Masters. But people will say that was a journeyman winner. They're they're wrong when they say that. Because golf is a a community of journeymen. Um, And some of them get hotter for longer than others. But that unique nature of it means that it's very difficult to be able to to sell to a sponsor the certainty that come the climax of the tournament, your biggest stars are going to be fighting it out because it doesn't work out that way.
2: And Ian is, uh, it, it, well, Ian is absolutely right. To, I think it may have been the most uncomfortable moment of my professional career was having to <laughs> go on BBC Radio at about five to nine to have Ian... Carter asked me the memorable question, so how does HSBC feel about Tiger Woods crashing out of the world match play on day one, to which I think I came up with some very glib answer. It was a long time ago. I'm sure all's been forgiven, but um, it's absolutely right. You cannot, you cannot put any certainty to who's hot on the day or over the four days, um, which is what makes golf very compelling as well.
0: Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag sportspropod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. I felt like you very much enjoyed being reminded of that, Giles, but <laughs> it gives us a, a nice opportunity to to look at the question the other way around, which is what is attractive for the players? You both speak a fair bit to players, Ian, obviously on the circuit, Giles, on, on your podcast, The Captain's Table, where you have quite a lot of current golfers uh, sharing a whiskey with you.
1: Now, there is, by the way, the greatest sponsorship deal ever. I mean, I'm assuming you get paid in whiskey to just talk, which, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the deal.
0: Deal of the century.
2: It works for everybody, in let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, still open to sponsorship slots for this podcast, I should note. But the, you know, what what are players motivated by? I mean, one of the, I think Ian hit upon it a little bit earlier when he talks about some of the kind of reticence around uh, the PGL on the players' side. I know Rory, Rory McElroy has come out and said that it's not something that interests him, and you feel like it's because there is that risk of losing the shot at the Masters and also losing the kind of um, the opportunities that come with that inside and outside the sport. What are they going to want to be assured of if there is a, a move towards, uh, towards greater consolidation?
2: Well, if I, if I start that, I mean, golf is our, it's, a, it's a rich sport, particularly for the men's, but you're seeing improvements in the women's game all the time and players and particularly their managers are very motivated by money. Um, and that's obvious, but actually, when you speak to the great players, or even the the, the, the the players who are more fulfilled, particularly the ones who are getting older, and they look back on their career, people like Thomas Bour- Bjorn, Lee Westwood, those kind of players, actually where they sit in the pantheon and their own fulfilment is equally important to them. And in fact, over age, I would suggest, becomes more important than, than the money. Money is the short term, As to get to become a professional is the most extraordinary fight and actually the most restor- astonishing achievement of any golfer, to become a pro and then to play regularly on a tour, in of itself, is an astonishing achievement, which is why Phil Mickelson, I still think is one of the greatest players of all time, because he, I don't think, got out of the top 50 for 25 years, which just in terms of form is as, as good as it gets. But then what happens and what the players, and I think the players who are best managed um, by agents, people like uh, formerly Guy Kinnings, who was a, a manager before he's now very much one of the the main men at the european tour is that they understood where people should sit in the in in the pantheon as i say and what again worries me about something like a, a pgl is most players know what they would they'd would like to win a major and they probably have a choice of which major they'd like to win between the open championship and the masters and that's probably comes down to taste to be honest. It'll be one or the other. And then there's probably World Golf Championships would go in there because they've been well marketed over the years and there's a good prize fund. But what they need to know is that what they've achieved puts them amongst their peers um, with respect. And I think that um, too much circus golf, if that's the right expression, um, a little bit like, I'll, I'll use an analogy as well. I was a very bad cricketer, but I had aspirations of playing test match cricket for for England, but I was nowhere near going to get there. But you were able to balance a player's greatness through a number of test runs they scored or, or wickets that they got. And we all understood what the benchmark is. Now the game is being driven by 2020 cricket, but the game hasn't caught up yet with the statistics that demonstrate how good a player was in the Pantheon because... It, it's taking a while. It'll come through. The same thing will happen with golf. If there was a massive seismic shift and money brought in a new um type of format of as you know as we've been talking about um here with PGL, is you'd have the four majors remaining. You'd hope, but what else then would define players? And I think it matters to players a lot. Um, and therefore you can't just make seismic shift. So it's a really interesting time because, of course, they're looking at formats, they're looking at different ways to bring in a youth audience, which they have to do. Well, that's going to start to muddle with the tradition. But to Ian's point, actually determining how good a player is the grind of the year and playing stroke play golf. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing
1: is that is the Players' Championship, which is the premium event on the, on the PGA Tour, and I would argue that that has outstripped the World Golf Championships. I think you now talk about the four majors and the players. And, you know, from our experience this year on BBC Five Live Sports Extra, we we did commentary for the first time on the Players' Championship and we had live text commentary on the BBC Sport website. And the numbers were phenomenal for golf. I mean, you know, and, and very, very encouraging. And... I just feel that there is there is a, a a a sort of tipping point Giles you mentioned it there the masters and the open would be the two that the guys would most want to win but it's also about how much interest gets the, gets gets generated amongst the the viewing public that's what's going to drive things and people say well should we consider the players as the fifth major and and if you if you go anywhere near that the traditionalists will turn around and say, you can't possibly possibly say that. But I wonder what the figures will be like when we do the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island and how they will compare with the Players' Championship. Because year on year, the Players' Championship gets bigger and bigger. Fans get more and more excited about the Island Green at the 17th the the water up the left on eighteen, the drama that comes with all of that, and it becomes a massive fan favorite. And the players will feel that as well. By that I mean the competitors. So it's an it's a constantly evolving kind of scenario. Back in the day the Western Open was regarded as a major. Back in the day the US Amateur and the Amateur Championship were regarded as majors. So this is something that is is, is constantly changing. And the tours are getting ever more, uh, ever stronger. And they're trying everything that they can do. And another little story for you. I remember listening to Peter Costas, a commentator and coach, uh, who was, was let go uh, recently from American television. And he believes that one of the reasons was that when a player, a young player, won a tournament and he was the guy on the ground who had to interview him, and he went in there, and his first thought was that win means you're going to be playing at Augusta. And he said, "Hey, how about the, the feeling that you're going to be teeing it up at, at, at Augusta?" And the big cheeses at, at the the PGA Tour, who control the contracts with the broadcaster, turned around and said, "We can't have we can't have that." You, the first question should be, "How do you feel about getting 500 FedEx Cup points?" Now, the average fat, you know the the Everything in my journalistic being says Peter Costis was 100% correct. But there is such controlling of the message, such driving of putting forward the product that is the PGA Tour, and the same thing will happen on the European Tour with the Race to Dubai, that you are actually messing with the heads of the TV viewers, with the players and, 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 and everyone concerned. And yes, of course, strategically, as you sit in a boardroom, Someone will say, that is the message that we need to drive. But if it doesn't have the authenticity that the fan buys into, then it founders. us. And that's, these are the things that the sport is wrestling with at the moment.
0: I suppose to that point, if you were able to make a global tour happen and, and make it work and get enough buy-in from enough people, it's one less frame of comparison that you have to factor in. I mean, we have this conversation every couple of years ahead of the Ryder Cup. European team stacked with players from the European tour, uh, US teams stacked with players from the PGA tour, and you're kind of you're not quite comparing like with like in terms of world rankings and so on because of the status of various tournaments they might be participating in outside of the majors. You know, if you create a bit more comparability, a bit more linearity in terms of how people at the the elite end of the game are competing, makes it more accessible for fans. Also gives players um, slightly better grounds to for competition all the time kind of between between those major tournaments.
1: Yeah, uh, but, but the thing about the Ryder Cup is it's great sport and it lends itself to the random nature of of golf. Ie anyone can beat anyone over 18 holes. So if you if if you as Europe have done traditionally over the last couple of decades find a way of galvanizing people, you get Philip Price beating Phil Mickelson and it is presented to the world as an epic amazing Performance and result. When in fact it's it's part and it's exactly the sort of result that you would see in the World Match player every year. But it has that tribal element to it. It has uh, it has fans roaring um, and invested, and 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 that is why the Ryder Cup is 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 so successful. And it's so difficult for a week in week out tour, whether it's the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the Asian Tour, the women's side or whether it's a new global tour, to be able to sell that to people and say this, and, and tennis has had the same thing with, with the ATP tour and the WTA, People, were, you, you can ask people who won Wimbledon and they'll know the answer, you ask them who won the end of season shootout, I can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head, at the O2, and only the tennis diehards would know it. And that, that, that is the reality of what you're dealing with, with these individual sports, which are hugely successful sports that make an awful lot of people very, very wealthy and are great to watch. But if you, if you veer away from what the fans buy into most, you're, you're struggling.
0: On the subject of, of those diehard fans, I mean, again, when you look at the mood music around this question, the two biggest broadcast partners of, of golf or of the golfing tours globally, NBC in the US um, and Discovery everywhere else are increasingly Giles, creating platforms that are about a global single entity game of golf. You know, they've, they've brought on the European tour, they're picking up, uh, you know, the major rights might be a slightly different uh, kettle of fish in different places, but, um, you know, they're trying to bring together as much of this stuff as they can and serve the golf fan and recognize that that fan is a fan of golf and not a fan of a particular tour or a particular tournament. Um I mean how how significant do you think that is when it uh when when we're considering this question of the global tour down the line?
2: Well Ian's touched on this um earlier is there are two there are two types of fans that most sports have to to cater for you have the general sports fan who will follow the very biggest events because they are they are moments in time that they want to stay abreast of and then you have the everyday fan who just wants their diet of tennis or golf or whatever it may be, and you see this with football soccer all the time where you know a particular club may have a have its own t v output but for a lot of football fans, they want to be part of the sort of broader sports journey. So whilst you look at golf TV and you look at um, the Golf Channel, they are providing a diet of endless golf for the endless golf enthusiasts. And that's fantastic that's a channel and that's very powerful for sponsors in particular because if you start to pull the data out of those individual people who are watching consuming particularly on second screen and mobile devices etc you're pulling data in which is actually what the sponsor wants to know they want to know who the audience is and therefore there is a, a massive role and opportunity for them but but, 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 in order to create the hierarchy, exactly to Ian's point, is in with a global sporting calendar, there are certain events of which I would say Wimbledon and, and probably Augusta, even more than the Open Championship, funnily enough, sit within that the global sports fan understands where it sits within the firmament. And that creates the trickle down for all of the sport then to build. So it's like a, a pyramid in some form, where if you know that Tiger Woods winning the masters, as he did a couple of years ago, whatever it was a couple of years ago, um, you know that that was in the global sporting firmament, particularly because he is a global sporting superstar that's had his challenges, you understand where that sits. And the global TV audience of having events, which are catering to a broader audience than just the core for me is absolutely essential because otherwise you're missing the broader piece and the interest. And you then, otherwise you run the risk of just going into silo, sport, 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 sport. Now take an example. I'm not from Eastern Europe, but handball is a big deal there. But I have no idea about handball and no one ever gives it any, maybe at the Olympic games. And therefore it's important that you have this ability to universalize from time to time. And we're having this weekend coming up the Masters Championship, which is one of golf's absolute um, moments in the sun to take the game to wide an audience as possible. Do you need belts and braces? Is I guess what I'm saying is I think it's fabulous that there are specialist golf channels that are catering for the for the everyday fan. But you also need the broader. You absolutely have to. Otherwise, the game becomes siloed and it becomes not nearly
0: as, as broad a sport as it can be. And where would you say, I mean, where is golf going to see the opportunity at the moment? Because this is something that, you know, that there's a bit of oscillation between people saying, golf can be this big democratised game and will we'll massively increase public engagement. We'll... we'll um, you know whether it's building new courses or funding other courses or what have you. Top golf is is I think quite a an, a new interesting way of of accomplishing that now, and, and you're seeing a bit of buy-in from from the established side of the sport. But then there's also I guess an opportunity to be had from concentrating that core audience in 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 one place. Where would you say the bigger side of that opportunity is, Giles? And how do you approach those two? Paths without kind of cutting the other one off.
2: Well, and that's why I think maybe consolidation of having the the right governing bodies working together is so important. Because I don't think there's one answer or another to your question. I think it has to be a combination where you understand that the majors, particularly probably the Open and um, the Masters, and then probably the Ryder Cup as well, um, have a really really important role to keep the sport relevant to the broader global sports audience, who may not give a toss about golf, but give a toss about global sports events and understand that. That has a vast role, and I also think the Olympic Games, I keep harking on about it, I would love to see over the next 10, 12 years, and I'm sure it'll happen, um, that the Olympics, you know, there was a containment of the Olympics in 2020, obviously, but I just feel that the Olympics is never, uh, because of a time point of view, but Golf needs to embrace the Olympics properly. They spent enough money trying to get the sport into the bloody games. They may as well now really try and capitalise on it to put it into the firmament. And then, again, with this broader consolidated approach is to start looking at the things like a top golf, range golf, looking at different formats. I mean, there are all sorts of ideas—some wacky, some daft—that traditionists would help, would hate. That maybe start to to show the game in different lights, particularly to broaden the audience, both the participation, because golf, like tennis, but golf probably more than any sport, it's the participation fan that is so valuable—the person who plays and watches. To a sponsor, in particular, and those that fund the sport is absolute gold. And golf is the ultimate participation game. It's the ultimate democratic game. The handicap system is a simply a work of genius that allows anybody to play with anybody. Um, no age, no gender, no problems. It's it, it just works. So I want to see a game that I'm utterly hopeless at, but have spent quite a lot of time being involved with, is to come together... And to be forward-thinking, but at the same time protecting the heritage and the heritage also, which then helps drive the broadness of appeal, which is the moments in time which tennis have with with particularly with Wimbledon, where everybody understands that this annual event is something bigger than the sport, broader than the sport.
1: And the and you know you you've skirted around around it there, Giles. The biggest untapped market, as far as golf is concerned are two, going into the Bane communities because they haven't made the most of, of Tiger Woods at, for two and a half decades being at the top of the game and making the game attractive to those areas, but also to women. And tennis has, tennis has had, the Grand Slams in particular, have grown in interest and appeal enormously from the moment that they offered equal prize money. You look at, you look at this world now, uh, and diversity is the biggest buzzword in business. And golf is way behind, way, way behind, and is, is having to be dragged kicking and screaming into this real world. And you know, I've, I've been asked the question by, by a very senior boss of one of the majors, saying, why, why, why do we keep get, getting kicked? In the media when a sport like tennis doesn't, and I said it's the dividend that they get from paying equal prize money the All England Club is every bit as elitist as the RNA and the Augusta national I mean the All England club is in bed with the Augusta national they they constantly talk about their 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 strategies, but no one sees Wimbledon now as being sexist or out of date it they used to and it held it held the championships back. And you you'd look at uh, you know, my world with the way that editors will view these, these separate e- events, and they will look much more kindly on Wimbledon because they, they remunerate the people exactly the same. And now the RNA and the USGA actually have no excuse. They both put on men's and women's opens. So wh- why are women paid less than the men? And it's a legitimate question, and it's a very, very difficult one. You could, you turn around and you say, "Oh well, it's it's market forces. It, the the women don't command the audiences." Well, it's not sold to the audiences. It's it, this exactly the same thing happens at the Grand Slams. The tickets for the women's quarterfinal in a tennis Grand Slam are cheaper than for the men's, but you still pay the women the same because they're part of a whole package. And and for golf ever to be properly viewed for what it is, that has to change. To me it's no this is this is a silly throwaway, but to me it's no coincidence that the that in line of duty at the moment, the guy that's being portrayed as the biggest dick has a golf club in his hand all the time. That buckles bloke. I mean, you know, how do we how do we portray this guy as a bit of a dick, give him a golf club and have him talking about making making a tea time booking? That's that's the reality that golf has to overcome at every level. Every level.
2: Well, and, 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 and it, it's really interesting. I, I'm very proud of the fact that at my 12 years at HSBC, and, and Ian um, had to listen and read my press releases ad nauseum, but HSBC, and this isn't a plug for HSBC, but it is a plug for golf and the opportunity for golf. Is HSBC focused on sponsoring both men and women's event when most, most other sponsors didn't. And this is going back, 15, 15, 20 years, but also trying to take the game into new markets, particularly Asia, as you'd expect from the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. And Ian's quite right, is that the sport has, again, that's why I go back to the Olympics, to not showcase the men and women playing together, to not showcase this sense of what the, you know, having watched um, and and been involved in the sponsorship of HSBC Women's Champions in Asia for which still goes happily. Most amazing event. Fantastic goal. Paula Cream has still sunk, I think the greatest putt I've ever seen in Singapore, way back when, you know, as a television spectacle, it it doesn't matter men or women. It was just a brilliant putt, gender irrelevant. And I think the sport has got so much further to go, given, and here's the great irony, it is the most democratic sport in the world that actually does cater for everybody, old, young, men, female. So there's no... Ex- it has the potential to be, Giles. Sorry to interrupt. It has the potential to be. That's the thing. That, that's what I mean. And therefore, there, ha- there is a road ahead that can be that can be taken, of which I would use the Olympics as the springboard to start shaking down the traditionists because you can use the Olympics, which goes back an awfully lot further than uh, than golf does, to say, we're changing things up now because this sport is on the move in the 21st century, which you know we'd all love to see the majors played, um, even if they're not played at exactly the same time in terms of the same day. Have a festival like we have at Wimbledon, where you've got uh, um, men and women playing on the same stage All of those things would make it far more appealing, build the prizes up, absolutely, as Ian says, and showcase the game for its excitement. Because the great thing is, I also think about the distancing, and we won't get into distance because that's another podcast. But the thing is, it's all relative. A ball travelling through the air, 250 yards or 350 yards, is, on a camera angle, is fairly irrelevant. Where golf gets really exciting is someone chipping in from... 120 yards or putting, that again is gender in specific. It's just exciting. And that's the kind of drama that needs to be unfolded. I, I'm so excited to see that in the next 10, 15 years, I hope that Ian and I are still alive and we can, or all got our voice boxes and we're doing a podcast of how far golf came from 2020, 2021, because it has the chance.
1: Last, last Sunday, there were two tournaments going on, the Texas Open and the ANA Inspiration, the first women's major. Patty Tavertanekit won that, twenty-one year old, twirling the club like Tiger Woods, Jordan Smith won in Texas. You could not have asked for a better day for global golf. A tie winner at the age of twenty-one. Which player had the longest average drive over those two tournaments? Patty Tavertanekitt. Wow. He was averaging three hundred and twenty-six yards off the tee. So that's about twenty yards further than than uh than jordan spieth okay different different conditions and so on and so forth but that just shows you it just shows you the potential that is there that's what golf as an industry as a business has to really tap into
0: guys that's quite a vision uh i think we will leave it there for this edition of the sports pro podcast but thank you very much for your time giles morgan and thank you very much indeed lovely to be on and ian carter
1: cheers nice to have my soapbox
0: (laughs) have the opportunity to vent (laughs) very enjoyable to listen to um thanks to all of you for tuning in as well we will be back with you again very soon Bye bye the sports pro podcast is published by sports pro media the producer is ed dixon